Hello again, and thanks for listening today. This is Stepping Into Freedom, a podcast about standing fast in the liberty wherewith we have been made free from Elder 5840 in the Book of Mormon. Um, a while ago, I had uh, seen a post done by Patrick Risk uh, in a few different groups on Facebook, and he just talked about um, all the dark places in life that he had been to, and and you know just how he still kept going because of his faith in Christ and his sense of the love of God that uh, love of God for him um, and as I read it I I realized that I could uh, just how well I could relate to it from a very very different angle but um, it uh, made me think about uh, just how many people out there I'm I'm sure especially this year <laughs> how many memes have I seen that's like 2020 sucks um, so many people out there, I'm sure, who have just had a really tough year. Um, kind of weird for me. It's been like a mixture. Like everything globally is seeming to be very, very difficult and horrible and terrible. The fires all over the place and COVID and <laughs> monster-sized hornets or whatever. I don't remember what they were. Anyways, a whole bunch of stuff. Just people are like, this is a horrible year. Um, but kind of close to home for me uh, here in Utah where I've been, uh, I mean, good heavens, I'd found, uh, well, I sh- or Colette found me, I should say, um, <laughs> thanks to uh, the guidance of Heavenly Father and uh, my first wife, Lorraine, from the other side. Um, but the reason I'm doing this bonus episode today is it stems off of uh, the post I saw from Patrick. Uh, just because I have been to some very dark places um, and some really gloriously wonderful places, uh, physically and uh, spiritually, you know, literally and figuratively, um, and I wanted to just today. Uh, well, first off, I'm gonna play a song for you guys. Uh, like, not, I'm not, I'm not playing it myself. I'm gonna uh, just play it to show you kind of the message that is behind it. It's called Firm in the Faith. Uh, it's an old one uh, put out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, this, I think it, I think this one's in the seminary soundtrack somewhere. Book of Mormon one, I want to say. I, I might be wrong on that one, but called Firm in the Faith. And the lyrics to this one um, are very, how shall I say it, very accurately reflective of exactly what Heavenly Father has done with me and for me. Uh, in the last 10 years, uh, especially in cl- and including this year. Um, so I'm going to play that first, and then throughout the episode, I'm going to be talking about a lot of the dark places and bright places I have been to. Uh, a lot of it's going to be coming uh, from journal entries, and I'm so happy I wrote my journal the last 10 years because there's a lot of stuff that I was reading back through uh, that I want- I knew I wanted to use some of- some memories from Canada today to talk about uh, just how dark uh, things can get, um, trust me, things can get worse in your life, and also the re- divine rewards of persevering um, it with faith in Christ, keeping our covenants, and continuing to press on. Uh, so after the song, I'll be going through a bunch of details of my experiences up there, and the very direct contrast um, of how things are now for me, and what the Lord has uh, used the past to accomplish with me now. So here's that song. If all men had been- 
the powers of darkness to tremble and to shake. When the story of heroes is told, this mystery begins to with the greatest reward is the life turned over to the Lord. A hero achieves the greatest good when he seeks to know the will of God. He can make more of a man than any man without him ever can. So I think um, to begin with on the lyrics there, the there's something that that first phrase, well, one of the first phrases there, um, where it says the life with the greatest reward is a life turned over to the Lord. Um, and later on in that section there, he'll deepen your joy, strengthen your arms, comfort your soul, keep you from harm, uh, fill you with power through his loving grace if you but stand firm in the faith. Um, I think of that, um, and I think this has been mentioned before in other episodes, possibly, but that uh, Mormon message, well, they used to be called that, uh, the message, the, the videos the church used to put out, um, the one about the lady who had just been, it's called the Refiner's Fire, I believe, 
and it's about the lady who had just been thrown into the medical world, you know, in her family, cancer after cancer after illness after illness. And then it shows uh, as she's talking in this, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it? There's the word for metalsmith. I don't remember. <laughs> Black, uh, anyways, the guy who's pounding that metal rod into the shape of a flower. And um, there's a phrase in that video that she uses that I absolutely love, where she says, um, the you know, she talks about equal and opposite, and she says, you know, the the greater, the deeper our sorrows, the more capacity we have to feel joy. Um, and I know that's one way the Lord worked with me through all my time up in Canada. Um, I guess to kind of begin to illustrate how he did this with me, and how he can do it for anyone who's listening today. Uh, just a few experiences that I found from my journal that I think were especially uh you know, I guess effective in illustrating uh, this idea. Um, to begin with, I, mem I remember <laughs> uh, Lorraine's health problems were so complex and complicated that, um, and I'm not going to go over them all. Listen to episode 40 in season one if you want to check that out. I list most of them there, but uh, they were so horrible that um, even as early as 2011 that. Um, one of our, our friends up there, uh, shout out to Paula Martel if you're listening to this, when you if you do, um, she suggested this guy that had worked with her family and her kids um, to help get them stuff that they need that just you know nothing, nobody else was, was able to or willing to do uh, in the school district and things like that. If I remember the story correctly, I mean, if you're listening to this, Paula, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, anyways, so this guy was helping them with some legal issues surrounding all of that with some of their kids, and um, his name was Ben Bishop. Um, uh, had a lot of the same, interestingly enough, a lot of the same uh, difficulties that I did and that their son did, um, and like with you know social uh, issues and uh, learning problems, things like that. Um, like I, I had, I had in high school, I had unlimited time on my ACT because of just. I just was not a good test taker, and they documented it and submitted the request, and I got permission to have unlimited time, and I still got a 22. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so this guy was actually, uh, Paula recommended him, uh, Paula Martel did, because she thought, well, he, he warned us, she, excuse me, she warned us, actually, and she's like, well, I have to warn you, he's kind of a Rottweiler, but because of that, he can get you what you need, and uh, get around hard to deal with people with the uh, uh, government workers and ODSP Lorraine was on ODSP uh, uh, equivalent of disability in Canada and um, so we met this guy at, um, at Tim Hortons up there and you know he's kind of explaining the, the gist of how complex Lorraine's issues are and her with her health and uh, <laughs> then he asks I, I don't remember how he got on the subject I don't know if he asked me or if Lorraine kind of it just kind of one of us mentioned it in passing, but I uh, mentioned my uh, what we thought at the time was ADHD. Um, turned out, as I mentioned before, that it's Asperger's. But um, but the second that came up, this Ben guy was like, oh, like he, he just his focus totally changed, like right onto me instead of on Lorraine. I'm just there for support to make sure that uh, you know everything is done right. But he started starts focusing on me, and I'm like, okay, look, I I, I look, I appreciate the fact that you know you you're so eager to help everyone and everything right 
but this isn't about me. This is about my wife for today. Please, let's let's focus on her problems for now, okay? Um, and in fact, the type of help he wanted to give me was something I did not want or need. Um, he tried to claim, oh, oh, you have Asperger's. You must be horrible at math. And Lorraine was like, actually, he's really good at it. Foot and mouth moment for him, but he kept going anyways. Well, if, if you can't recognize that you have a problem, you know, if you can't admit that you need help, it's like, both of us were like annoyed at him, like, dude, please, this is not the time for me. And he kept pushing and pushing, and so eventually, um, Lorraine's like, please stop, you're going to frustrate him. And I'm like, trust me, you do not want to see me frustrated. And the second he I said that, he like, oh my gosh, he stands up and like starts screaming in the middle of this Tim Hortons with every other strangers around, screaming, is that a threat? Is that a threat? Is that a threat? And I'm like, I answer him the first time, like, um, wait, whoa, like, no, it's not a threat. What are you talking about? Like, he kept asking, asking the same question again, yelling it at us. And he's like, oh, we're, we're done. We're just done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. Then he walks out, storms out of the door. I'm, I'm like, both of the, Lorraine and I were just like, um, what just happened? What the heck? So yeah, um, Ben Bishop was a bit of a, uh, well, <laughs> you pick the word. I don't want to be rude here, but <laughs> as much as I can. Anyways. So, I mean, that was just one of many examples where people would talk to us like that um, when we would be honestly and innocently asking for help with something and then they try and, you know, put their own two cents in or uh, suggest things that we had tried so many times before that didn't work. And, well, maybe you're not trying hard enough. Maybe you're not making it. There's one person actually uh, later down the line where on Facebook who had said to me after I said, yes, we tried that. Yes, we've tried this and the 50 other things or something like that. I'm exaggerating there a little bit um, and eventually she got so tired of me saying we've tried this yes we've tried that that she's like well maybe you just don't want it bad enough and I'm like wait I don't want solutions bad like are you kidding me the hundreds of phone calls maybe thousands I've made like I'm like okay we're just gonna abandon this topic this uh, conversation right now lots of times like that um, where the, you know the only solution was for would have been for the uh, medical community, the doctors and nurses, and the, to as great as they were, to circumvent stupid policies and just get Lorraine the help she needed when she needed it. Um, oh my gosh, hundreds of times I made phone calls to people saying, uh, "You're not listening carefully enough. You're not acting fast enough. This is my wife we're talking about. You know, please, in in effect, get, get a hint, right?" Um, one um, success, what well, we thought was going to be a success, and then just ended up being a disappointment. Um, well, although I did learn something from it, thankfully. Uh, it was in March of 2012. Uh, at that point, uh, Lorraine's lymphedema was getting really bad. She, it came up in 2010 and then progressed in 2012. It was getting really, really bad. Realized if you don't get a handle on this now, it's never going away. Um, so we went to this lady uh, named Donna Reese. Bless her heart. She is just, she was so good. So kind, so gentle, just, oh, well, how can I help you? Let's, let's, I'll teach you how to um, One of our friends up there had actually paid for, um, oh, was it two or three sessions of lymphatic massage? We went downtown Hamilton to get that done. And um, she taught um, me how to do the massage properly so that um, I'd be able to get all the, the fluid out of her leg back into her blood, you know, so she can pee it out. And um, so... 
we went down there, she taught me a few things, and we realized that, wait a minute, this is going to take a few hours a day, because her leg was just, Thorin's legs were just so swollen by then, they were probably twice their normal size by then, by the end they were around four times their normal size, towards the end, um, but, yeah, so that happened, um, realized how much work it was going to take, tried it a few times, and realized, wait a minute, once we have the, the swelling gone down with the lymphatic massage, I mean, even with a few hours, I can only get it down maybe a, a quarter, a third of the way down. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, now we need compression to keep it down. So the next day when I go to do more massage, it goes down again. And we didn't have that. So we realized, oh, well, then we need lymphatic massage with the right compression. So then we started looking for that. And uh, eventually, I don't think it was a few years later, I couldn't find it in my journal, but um, or before I recorded this at least. But uh, I think it was a few years down the road, we finally did get custom compression stockings made for Lorraine's legs and uh, by then it's like they were bigger so <laughs> it's like well they're gonna be really really tight and we did put them on we did try it couldn't get them to stay up because the shape of her legs had changed um, and so by that time it's like well now we know lymphatic massage it's useless without the compression and the compression is once again useless because it, it took too much time to do it uh, for them to get around to actually making them um, so two things I learned about that <laughs> kind of botched, but at least for, once again, and this will come to a head at the end of this, um, two things I learned that um, are still helpful today um, should someone need them. And I've actually used skills with my skills with compression stockings and, and lymphatic massage on clients so far as a CNA, interestingly enough, since I've been back in the States this year. Um, around that time, around 2012, also... Um, the bedtime process, I, I didn't talk about this last season, but oh my gosh, I will tell you, uh, Lorraine's sleep schedule as it was was very um, unpredictable, <laughs> uh, as was a lot of other things, and so the bedtime process, like, we, we figured out a few years into our marriage, we're like, okay, so this is how it has to work. Pills around 11.30. Um, they take an hour to kick in, she starts getting sleepy around 12.30, and by 1 o'clock, um, if I can get all the blankets and pillows and the ottoman and everything just right, we can go to sleep. And that took about oof, maybe a year to learn all the ins and outs of that just because of how, you know, just touchy and sensitive everything was with her joints and having osteoarthritis and getting her in just the right position so that she could sleep without getting her legs like so high up into her stomach that it would push things up and cause acid reflux because um, she had that too chronically. Um, just this crazy process, bedtime process of if everything's not timed exactly, we're not getting much sleep tonight kind of thing. And that created a lot of stress every single night. Um, robbed us of a lot of sleep, both of us, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it caused a lot of contention because I ended up just being so tired so much of the time that, um, you know, some nights it'd just be like, look, Lorraine, hun, I want you to feel it be pain-free, and I hate that I don't, I'm trying my best and it's not working, but I'm begging you, you got to give me a break, and she goes, well, where does that leave me? And I'm like, uh, Heavenly Father, what do we do? We need a solution, please, and that just went on with... Very little to no solution for, oh, probably the next four or five years until she 
uh, I think it was 2017, I believe, when she broke her leg in the hospital and was wheelchair bound 24-7 anyways. So forget about sleeping on the couch. Um, so, yeah, there was that element of it. Um, but one of the, the uh, I guess, major milestones for me, uh, in a good way, and I'll get to one of the good parts, well, a few of them actually, one of them happened, uh, I don't know if, if Gail Nantes, if you're listening to this, ever, uh, the, there's a song that you sang in November 2014 um, that it was titled Whole Again by Sally DeFord. And the lyrics to that just... Oh my goodness, I'm telling you, they just resonated with me so deeply because at that point, as those who listened to my comments last season um, would know, I was you know, struggling to recover from a sexual addiction. And anyways, here, here's the words to the song. They just, they just so, they hit me so hard and kind of caused a bit of a, one of those light bulb aha moments. Wait a minute, I want that. So anyways, the lyrics go like this. I come before the throne of God. My kneeling soul is filled with wondering awe. As the Savior's tender mercy heals the wounds of all my sin, I praise the love that makes me whole again. I come in hope, I come in faith, to feel the touch of his redeeming grace. As I offer him my broken heart, he heals the hurt within, and I praise the love that makes me whole again. Alleluia, my healing spirit cries. As he reaches out his hand to bid me rise. Alleluia, praise the healer of all men, who makes me more than what I was and sees beyond what I am. And when I fall, he lifts me up, restores my soul, removes my bitter cup. For he heals my every heartache, and he carries all my pain. And I praise the love that makes me whole again. I praise the love that makes me whole again. So I, I listen to that, and I'm like, yeah, I want that now, and although my addiction did not end for a number of years later, um, I that was kind of a turning point for me, and uh, also around that time, I think it was either 2013 or 2014, uh, Lorraine and I had begun to read Visions of Glory, and she had, Lorraine had already had some special experiences with the other side of the veil. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this one uh, from last season, uh, in the bonus episode I did, but um, I remember one the first one I actually knew about of, of Lorraine's uh, beautiful experiences she had was when she emailed me when I was still on my mission, um, and in this email she told me about a uh, time where uh, her home teacher had come over and was trying to you know lift her spirits and and help her and just kind of buoy her faith and testimony and uh, he, he couldn't find the scripture he was looking for about the ministering of angels so because he couldn't find it he decided to get on the ground kneel down pray and ask for ministering angels to come and reveal what he wanted to find so this is where it gets interesting as he prayed um, in the middle of the prayer right on the spot between like where he was kneeling and where Lorraine was sitting on the ground in between them, um, both of them, with their eyes still shut, saw this really bright flash of light, like lightning, hit the floor between them. 
Um, and, you know, as the prayer continued, like he ended, and both of them just kind of sat there for a second talking and not sure whether or not the other person had seen something and should I say something, you know? And so uh, eventually Lorraine was like, um, I have a question. Did you see, um, and like her teacher's face just lit up all of a sudden. He's like, oh, you saw it too. You saw it too. Um, and uh, you saw the light, didn't you? And, like both of them acknowledged that they had seen it. And um, so the funny thing is that what Lorraine didn't tell him until the, the following Sunday that she wrote to me in my email was that um, behind her home teacher at that moment, she also saw two angels standing beside him, or behind him, excuse me. Um, and from that point on, she had been given this gift from Heavenly Father to see angels around people. That was the beginning of a beautiful spiritual gift for her. And she could see angels behind people, around people. She could, on occasion, see the Savior standing next to somebody. That happened at someone's baptism uh, years later. Uh, that she said to him, you know, hey, just to let you know the Savior was standing b beside you when you were up bearing your testimony at your baptism. Um, and, you know, past that point, her spiritual gifts just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, I remember a moment when it was it was July 2015, and what, who, the, the missionaries we used to call um, our Fab Four, uh, Sister Kennedy Robb, now Sister Poole, uh, Sister Shari Coleman, who is now Sister Barlow, and elders Erickson and Lawrence, um, were in our area at the time. And uh, what this occasion I'm talking about, the sisters were in our apartment, and we were having this wonderful, spiritually uplifting discussion about things we had read in Visions of Glory, things Lorraine had seen by then in Vision as well, um, past the email she sent me uh, those years ago in, in uh, 2009. So this was 2015. And uh, in the middle of our discussion, we had a bit of a silence and a pause just and because you could feel, like all, like all of us knew there's a special feeling here. Um, and Lorraine looked at me, and she said, do you know who's in here right now? Of course she could perceive this. And um, she, I, I said, I looked at her, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's here, isn't he? The Savior's here in the room with us. And I know he was there because we used to tell missionaries that there is a distinct difference between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that you can feel. The Father is complete and utter peace. Um, the Savior feels like a hug from the inside. At least to me he does, until a rain he did. Um, I could feel him there next to me. I'll never forget how powerful that was. Um, and all this as her health problems are getting worse and worse. Um, I don't remember if I talked about this one in last season, but it was another wonderful experience um, where it was in May 2016. The, I had a dream one night about... It was, it was kind of weird at first. I thought uh, me and uh, Lorraine and I were in the house I grew up in uh, over on Willowwood Lane in Little Podunk Delta. 
Colorado, and we were kind of in the space between like where our dining table was and the kitchen ish, and I like, we were praying like and for some reason I was praying Heavenly Father, if we go to the temple tomorrow and for some reason I knew in the dream it was a Thursday night that the next day was Friday. Don't ask. I don't know what that means. But uh, it was a Thursday night, and in the dream, I asked Heavenly Father in prayer, if we go to the temple tomorrow, will you please heal Lorraine completely um, while we're there? was my intent. And uh, I will tell you now, the second I said that, two things happened. Um, my, my dreams aren't usually very visually or audibly vivid. It's just more ideas and like kind of general perceptions that I have. Like I just am aware of what's going on. There's not much like actual sound or sight I, I feel, but I perceive. But um, the second I asked that, um, I felt his hands on my shoulders, Heavenly Father's hands, as he actually said, I as clear as I, I, as I could possibly perceive hearing out loud, awake. I heard, almost, I heard him say, excitedly so, yes, yes, I will. Um, and I'll tell you, when he put his hands on my shoulders, there was this overwhelming, indescribable peace that just, it transcends mortal words. Like Joseph said, he didn't say this, you know, his glory defies um, all English or Spanish or German or French description. He says it describes all description. And that is exactly what his peace feels like. It is beyond mortal language to describe. Um, and so right after that, interestingly enough, um, he, anyways, he got up and he started, I guess, I'm guessing planning that out. He went up to a, this whiteboard and, uh, started like drawing numbers and stuff in circular fashion around the board at like superhuman speeds. I, I don't, anyways, there's more to the dream than that, but um, that was just such a tender mercy to me because knowing that his peace was that powerful and that I could qualify for it if I lived my covenants better than I was, it was yet another aha moment, uh, you know, kind of a, I gotta do better now. And it gave me more motivation to keep trying, no matter how bad or how stressful the, night, the bedtime process was, no matter how difficult it was to get medical professionals to give Lorraine the treatment she needed when she needed it, all the difficulties that came with everything. It just gave me that much more uh, oomph, if you will, to keep going. Um, one of the more unpleasant things that happened, and this was from um, actually from a journal entry in May 2016, we were asked uh, previously by our landlords if we wanted to move down to the sixth floor, and their argument was from the top floor to the sixth floor. And their argument was, um, "Oh well, if if the fire alarm ever goes off, it'll be easier for you to get to the 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 first you know, to the lobby down down to the bottom of the building, so you can get to safety." And I don't know why we didn't argue with them about that and say that's not true because it wasn't. It's like, wait a minute, if the elevators are out because the fire alarm's going off. And we're on the top floor. The elevators are going to be out regardless of what floor we're on. And, you know, six, six, six flights of stairs is just as hard for us to get down as 22 flights of stairs. With a wheelchair, like a big, huge, heavy electric chair, not happening no matter what floor we're on unless it's the first floor itself. 
Um, so anyways, they for some reason they had convinced us, I don't know how they did it, I don't even remember, to move to the sixth floor um, to an apartment that was much less uh, accessible, all parts of it, to for Lorraine's wheelchair. And um, interestingly enough, we found out later on that that was illegal for them to ask us to do that. Because I remember them even saying, don't, don't tell anybody else where you're going until you actually do it. I'm like, we're just like, why? Like, well, you know, because people think we're picking favorites. I'm like, and I later learned, no, it's because it was illegal. It was violating fire codes, apparently. Um, so anyways, we went down there. And that day in my journal entry, not only were we super annoyed about moving down to the sixth floor, um, after we found out what the real intentions were, but then it was too late. They're like, well, we have someone moving into the penthouse where you guys are at, so you have to be out by the state period. Otherwise, we had nowhere else to live, so it's like, oh, great. Um, anyways, that day, interestingly enough, and sadly enough, I was writing in my journal about um, just how damaging moving to that apartment was to Lorraine's health, how I was super depressed about our marriage, and Lorraine's, you know, PTSD and not saying I love you first, no matter, and, you know, at, at that point we had still had, like, no uh, intimacy between us whatsoever. Um, there was a tiny bit at the beginning of our marriage, but um, the very beginning, it didn't last long just because of stress and things like that. And uh, just PTSD on her part, other things. Um, I just, I remember just feeling like, what's the point? I'm never going to get my love languages spoken the way I need. I'm constantly giving and getting nothing back. That was my attitude that day, at least. It wasn't true, but um, although, to be fair, I actually was getting uh, temporally from Lorraine little to nothing back, I mean, through, through no fault of her own. Um, but, uh, this, I mean, how, I was in a really, really dark place at that time. Um, actually, from my journal here, I wrote, um, and I, I wasn't in the right mind state, so, I mean, you can get where this is coming from. It says the fact that she has withheld anything of a sexual nature from me for almost seven years now has taken a, a huge toll on my emotional health and she doesn't even seem to want to say I love you without saying without me saying it first um, honestly I wonder if she even does she says she does and after all that I do for her it hurts me to my core that she doesn't say it more I just hope Heavenly Father strengthens her heals her and wakes her up to what she needs to do to make things better between us I don't know how much longer I'll last Besides my faith and my piano skills, I don't have much good left in my life. My marriage is in trouble, and unless um, Lorraine realizes how damaging, how she is damaging our relationship, I'm not sure how much longer I'll last. I know Heavenly Father can help, so I hope he does in the next few days. So, I mean, that was a really, really dark time. Um, there was more than, more, that, that feeling actually came more frequently too towards the end, but once again, that Facebook question, I asked, I, I answered years ago where I said, what gets you up out of the bed in the morning? And I answered my covenants, you know, that's what kept me going. Um, there was another huge answer to prayer though. Um, an answer to, well, my <laughs> constant, well, where the, when is the solution gonna come? Finally, kind of question to the Lord. Uh, on March 5th, 2017, I had written about um, President Eyring's face-to-face uh, I th I th was it President Eyring and Elder Holland at the time, I believe? I want to say there's one more with them. I don't remember. But there's a girl uh, in South America, I think it was. Don't quote me on that. 
who asked about prayer, you know, saying, uh, saying like, President Iring, how do I, um, you know, make it so that my prayers, uh, you know, seem more personal and intimate and, and like I'm really having a conversation with God. And, and I remember, I just, it hit me so hard, you know, Elder, uh, President Iring had said in response, you know, I, I, I think that's great that you want to make your prayers um, such a wonderful experience. And he said, but I would caution, I'm not quoting him, I'm just paraphrasing, of course, but his basic message was, I would caution um, about thinking and believing that, you know, we can, that us mortals can, you know, get all, you know, buddy-buddy with God and, hey, kind of almost like a, maybe, perhaps maybe even in, even an irreverent, what's up, Heavenly Father, like, ugh, you know. Um, he he was like, you have to remember, you know, we, we are approaching the when we pray we're approaching the, the throne of god you know the almighty who's you know omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent he's all-powerful he's so far above us you know to think that we have to be careful he said basically when we talk talk to him in prayer that you know when we do that we are affording him, we are giving him the same reverence that the level of reverence and uh, humility and meekness that he deserves being a god compared to us mortals so like vastly underneath him in that respect um and I, when he said that i thought of um something i think i had read uh or was it i heard in the fireside um, ages earlier or maybe months or something like that i don't remember anyways where somebody was talking about um, one of the previous presidents of the church, the prophets, um, somebody had gone into, oh, I remember, I think it was in Visions of Glory, where he, in one of these visions he saw, uh, Spencer, he sees the, the prophet for the time kneeling down in his office, and everything was like pushed away to the sides of the room, all the furniture and everything, he was just, he made it so that he could just go in the middle of the room, right in the middle, um, with nothing around him, no chair to lean on or anything, um, just be by himself, as far away from the walls and the furniture as possible um, and just kneel and he just sat there or excuse me knelt there um, and just waited and listened and got his mind and his heart quieted um, rever you know kind of created an atmosphere in his heart in the room and his mind of reverence um, preparing himself that for quite a long time to approach the throne of god in prayer he was that reverent about it because of how much he needed answers to prayers and you know president iron's comments reminded me of that like just you know if you want solutions to huge problems you've got to be willing to i realized you know to be willing to when you're asking for them going to him with you know having taken the time to make sure you are approaching him with such an attitude of love and gratitude and meekness and humility and trust in him, like feeling towards God, our Heavenly Father, the creator of everything, the way he deserves to uh, deserves us to feel about him when we speak to him. You know, this isn't just the president of a country or... Um, or an organization or CEO or someone who's really busy, like who's famous. This is the creator of everything we're talking to. 
was his basic message. So you know, and uh, she, she, he basically told this this, uh, this youth, um, if you're talking to him like that, you know, you've got more of a close relationship with him than I do. You know, I, the way I talk here to Elder Holland, he was saying basically, um, you know, that's that's I don't have those kind of conversations with the father, you know, because he's so far above me. Um, so that's just that whole answer he gave just rocked me. I'm like, I need to make more of my prayers like that. Um, and uh, so, I mean, that was a big turning point for me too. Um, something that also gave me motivation to keep going throughout just all the screaming fights Lorraine and I had and oh, this, the piano students who disappointed us and the people in our ward. Not not many of them, to be honest, but a few of them who just kept disappointing us over and over and over again. Um, mistreating us, spreading false rumors about us, not just in the church, but other friends of ours, too. Um, you got stabbed in the back quite a bit, honestly, actually, by people we knew all over the place. Um, but anyways, um, another turning point for me was in April 2014. Going back a bit here, I guess, but Elder um, Bednar's talk he gave... Um, about the man in the truck uh, trying to get firewood and he uh, got his truck stuck in the snow and he uh, you know decided to try and chop some wood while he was out there um, wait and see if something would change I don't know and uh, then realized that his truck was really really stuck he couldn't get out it was late at night he had a family at home he was like I'm stuck out in the middle of nowhere Heavenly Father I need help please and uh, so you know the thing you need to do is just to keep trying to fill his truck up. So he kept trying to do it. And uh, when he had completely filled his truck with wood, that was enough weight. And only the weight of the wood was what, you know, enabled his truck to gain the traction it needed to get unstuck out of the snow. If it wasn't for the weight of all that weight on his, like all the wood on his truck, um, he wouldn't have had the traction to get out of the snow. And the, the idea was of the talk was that um, sometimes the only way to really push forward um, to get answers to a problem in life is to do is to keep going under the weight of a trial while we are suffering um, and then that gets us helps us press forward and I realized when I heard that talk I'm like you know by then like that was year, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, five years into our marriage up uh, with Lorraine and I, um, you know, there was so much weight I felt on us already with medical problems, social issues with our marriage, with a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Well, I have a ton of weight on me. If I just keep pressing forward in faith and look for the good and be grateful for the trials and try and just have that fortitude Maybe the same thing will happen for me. And I'm telling you, when I did that, it worked. I remember there were a few key times, um, probably in the last five years up there, where I remember talking actually one specific instance to uh, one of the guys in our ward who was giving me a ride somewhere. I think it was back to the hospital um, from being home one time. And um, like, well, while uh, Lorraine was admitted there. Uh, and... He asked me how I was doing, and I remember telling him, honestly, at this point, I am so tired of just like trying to climb up this proverbial hill 
and slipping and slipping and slipping and slipping and just not getting anywhere uh, with any of the problems we were facing over and over again, just disappointment after disappointment. I'm like, I'm a blank slate. I'm out of ideas. I don't know what to do. So I'm at the point now where I'm just like, you know what, Heavenly Father? <sighs> Fine. You know what? I, I accept this. I What else am I going to do? I accept this. I'm just going to leave everything in your hands. Heavenly Father, I don't know what else to do. I'm a blank slate. I, I'm just going to accept that this is the way things are and be and just choose to be okay with it and trust in your timing because nothing else works. And by that time, I'm telling you, pushing forward from that point with the weight of everything going on, I just, no matter what was going on in those moments where I felt like that, that was when I had true peace, no matter how much was going wrong. In my heart, it was just like, okay, I'm a blank slate, Heavenly Father. I give up. I give up trying to take control. You take the wheel. Um, and boy, did he ever. Um, I was, the second I mean, my, my heart and mind could enter that state was when I was able to more clearly perceive what he wanted me to do instead of me trying to just fix everything. Um, so that was a huge turning point as well. Uh, in So this was kind of a funny, more of a funny story, but it still illustrates just how difficult things were up there and how good it was when we pushed forward anyways. Uh, this was uh, February 2017. I remember it was really snowy, and uh, <laughs> I remember when we got to church that day, the bishop um, was like, wait, you, whoa, you guys made it. How did you make it here? We, we were just about to you know, call uh, uh, Sister Lance to, to play organ in your place, Paul, because we didn't think you guys would make it today because of all the snow. And, and uh, oh, my goodness, that one was so funny because we were just like, like Lorraine told him that the uh, the weather would be the last thing that stops her, and that uh, in my journal here I wrote that and that her pain is always more of an issue than environmental factors. I mean, probably not that wording, but I mean, that the way I said it that day. Anyways, yeah, she's like, Lorraine's just like, uh, weather is not going to stop me as much as my pain will, and my pain is not going to stop me. That is my choice. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a I thought that was kind of funny because it's like, with everything else going wrong, you think weather is going to stop us? Uh, no, nope, we're coming to church, period. Like, the only thing that's going to stop us is if the pain is so severe she can't even, like, open her eyes or speak or something like that. So, yeah, that was kind of fun. Uh, last few things here I want to mention. Um, something else, this one is actually in the bonus episode, uh, episode 40 in last season. I'm not going to go over it all the way, but just to um, encourage listeners um, to go back and actually, I, I looked it up myself, and if you go back to that episode, um, once again, episode 40 of season 1, uh, about 59 and 30 seconds, roughly, um, her, ex our, her experience in September 2018 go and listen to that part because that's also a huge that's a huge blessing for both of us um something that was really hard actually and i didn't i don't think i talked about this in uh in last season but um after i had read like my cousin uh, brooklyn actually had bought me the book 
uh, well, it was a two-in-one, The Message by Lance Richardson and then the follow-up, uh, which is From Our Side by uh, his wife, Josette. Um, and this was uh, after Lance had passed away when they wrote that one, I believe. Um, so, and there's a parallel from that book that uh, I experienced firsthand um, that was especially meaningful but also extremely difficult. So there was a point where in Josette's book where Lance is so sick, he's just so comatose that, you know, one of her sons is in there talking to his dad, you know, and he's uh, like trying to tell him all the things that are going on in his life and asking him questions, see if he can get a response from him somehow, some indication, you know, is dad in there still? You know, is he, he's alive, but is he in there mentally, you know, kind of thinking to hear me? And uh, at one point, um, you know, he was about to leave and, and uh, he looks at his dad's face as he's getting ready to leave and says, I have to go, you know, and I think this is how it went. Maybe, Josette, if you listen to this, if you hear this, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I'm remembering what I read correctly, but um, right as he's about to go, he sees just one tear escape his dad's eye. And that one tear was enough for his son to get excited. <gasps> Dad, you cried! You cried! Dad, you're in there! You cried! He's like excited. That one little thing is some sign of consciousness. And I learned how that felt in a different way. But um, when Lorraine was... I'm trying to get through this here. When Lorraine was, um, at one point when she was in ICU in Jurabinsky Hospital, um, there was a few days where, or actually a few weeks, where, I mean, she, she at that point, at this point she, I think this was, oh, this had to be early, no, mid-2019, I believe, a few months before she passed. Um, anyways, yeah, she was down in ICU, and she had, you know, the trach, she had, actually, she was intubated, I remember that now, she was intubated, had the tube going down her throat, this was before the trach, I think, um, and she, like, at that point, not only did she have the, the tube down her throat, but she had, I think we had the, the stoma had been done, the surgically done by then, she had a, the stoma in her stomach, and, um, I mean, that as long as well as the pick line, the, the super pubic catheter and everything. But at that point, her uh, she had been on dialysis to help some kidney, major kidney problems she had as a side effect of antibiotics to clear up an infection. And uh, the dialysis had taken a huge amount of water weight um, and the swelling out of her legs, um, which I'm like, when I first, re I remember the first time I saw that happen, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Dialysis does way more than lymphatic massage and compression ever did. Let's just do that. But, I mean, of course, the doctors were like, uh, you can't just do that to remove water. There are complications with that, right? Um, I thought, well, let's, let's make that a permanent solution. <laughs> no thanks. Learn how complicated that can get. Um, but anyways, her swelling after that, the problem is every time her swelling went down, when it came back, it spread to more of her, more a greater area of her body than before. And so, so many times of dialysis removing fluid from her legs, every time it came back, when it would spread, it eventually got so far that it actually went into her eyeballs. 
Um, this, her, her eyeballs actually got swollen themselves to the point where she couldn't even open them. They hurt so bad. And so she lived in this heart-crushing darkness. Not only could she not speak because of the tube, she couldn't move her arms very much because of the just this horrible pain she was always in. She couldn't move her legs because, well, dang it, they were too heavy. She could barely move her head because of um, it was so hard because the osteoarthritis at that point was so bad that she couldn't barely move her neck at all. Getting her, her head comfortable enough on pillows was crazy hard as well. And, of course, with the, the tube in her throat not being able to communicate that, I left her arms to signal anything that she was hurting, you know, to point. She couldn't even lift her arms enough to point to anything to say, you know, this is in pain or whatever. She was literally sitting there, 90% vegetable, but still conscious and in darkness, not able to speak, not able to move, not able to open her eyes. And I remember for two weeks just being there in the room with her, just trying to talk to her, knowing that she could hear me, but because she would, you know, wince or try to, you know, budge her fingers a little bit when she to indicate she could hear me or barely, barely move her head enough to nod a tiny bit. And I said, did you hear what I just said? She would barely nod a little bit when she could. You know, just so just aware, but in darkness. For two weeks, she couldn't open her eyes, speak, barely move. And so the day where she opened her eye a little bit, finally on her own, um, I can't even begin to tell you how precious it is to go that long without any connection whatsoever with someone you love and then finally be able to look into their eyes even just that little bit I learned that day just how precious the ability to look into the eyes of our loved ones to hear their voice is and um, you can't underestimate that. Please don't underestimate just how valuable it is to just be able to even just to hold your loved one's hand without hurting them, to look into their eyes, to hear their voice. Those small things mean more than you can imagine. I would know, and so would Josette. Um, anyways, I uh, just wanted to mention that because of just how heart-wrenching I know things can get. Um, so the, the, the last part of this, um, that I want to talk about before getting to the bright side and really illustrating Patrick's message and the message of that song I played at the beginning, um, to kind of give you an idea of, okay, you know, this is how much Heavenly Father can make good out of a bad thing. Um, I remember the day she died and, uh, there's some things I'll talk about here that course couldn't have made it into the last season's uh, episode like this because um, yeah Lorraine was not nearly as bad as she was uh, of course uh, obviously towards the end um, but I remember the day she died um, for those who haven't heard this part of the story uh, she had been like two days before she had been they finally had gone in after months of waiting and done the lithotripsy, which is breaking up all the kidney stones. She had probably close to 10 on for between both sides. 
problem was they waited so long um, that even with three industrial strength antibiotics floating through her pink line at the same time, when they busted those stones, the the infection that spread from it was just too much. The antibiotics, there was no combination of antibiotics that could have fought that off. Her body was just ravaged with infection. Her, uh, for those who know medical terminology, her blood pH um, went down to 6.8, um, which is considered incompatible with human life. In fact, below 6.8, her blood pH was really low. Um, they couldn't keep her blood pressure up. Um, she had extremely crazy blood pressure. We're talking like 180 over 60. Um, I think at one point it was even like 190 over 50 or something like that um, for about an hour at one point um, before they sent her back down to ICU because, oh, she had the stones out, she'll be fine now. Let's send her back up to the acute medicine ward. Yeah, that lasted for about, uh, I'd guess, five hours maybe, not even. Sent her back down to ICU, and within about 12 hours, um, the doctors were like, I don't think she's going to make this. And I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, um, yes, she is. She's come back from death's door several times now. You don't know what you're talking about. She's going to make it. She's different. She'd come back from being so sick so many times. Um, there was that, that one time in ICU a few months before that where her heart rate was down in the 30s. Um, and she still came back from that because she's just such a fighter. Man. And there's another example of that coming up here. But um, So I told him, nope, nope, she's going to make it until her heart did stop the first time. Yes, I said the first time. Um, at that point, I know her heart stopped, and I said, Honey, please ask the Lord to restart your heart. And he did. It did restart. And uh, the doctor said her heart has restarted, but we, we uh, sir, we can't keep her heart, her uh, blood pressure up. We can't. It's not working. Everything we're doing is just not happening. And, and uh, at that point, she would, you know, have the trach in, take the tracheostomy. She had that in with full 100% support from the ventilator. She had the CRRT dialysis going, the slow kind. Um, it's supposed to not overwhelm her body, help her kidneys out. She had, the, you know, the full strength antibiotics going. The inotropes were running with the lines wide open. And it just wasn't working. And so I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, maybe this is it. So I called. Thanks to you, too, first of all, to shout out to Jason Amelia Julian, who I called next, and as well as our bishop, David Oswald, at the time. And at the time of this recording, he's still actually the bishop there, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't heard anything different, but. So I called them and a bunch of other friends. Uh, called Lorraine's, uh, at the time, her, uh, best friend Ramona, her birth mom, her aunt, her cousin, um, her aunt and her cousin, uh, Evelyn and Cindy, um, called, uh, Tammy Tarr, our friends, Kevin and Barb Norell, I called all five missionaries who were serving there at the time, um, I think it was Elder, oh, sorry about this, elders and sisters, but, uh, all I remember is Elder, the names of Elder Fairbanks and, uh, Sister Estayo, oh, and Sister Tebbs, anyways, um, some other people who I'm not remembering at the moment, probably. Anyways, called all of them and said that her heart stopped once. I don't know how much longer she's going to last. I told Ramona, you know, you better get up here fast or you're not going to be able to say your goodbyes. So they all came up and um, I asked 
Amelia Julia, and I'm like, what? What do I do? I was so scared, and I'm like, I don't want to lose her. All the promises the Lord gave her about being healed, and I'm like, she promised me as well. Like she made me promise as well that I would fight and fight for her life until the very end. That I would, no matter how bad things looked, no matter how sick her body was, she made me promise to keep fighting no matter what until her body just said enough and gave out. No matter how much medical attention was being given. And uh, Amelia had said to me, you know, I know she made you promise that, but what does the Lord want for her? What do you think he wants? I think that's what did it. I realized that no matter how much I tried over those 10 years to keep her alive, that if the Lord's will wasn't to have it happen, then there's nothing I could do to stop that. And that uh, she deserved to be pain-free. So... Um, yeah, um, <laughs> made the call to the nurses and doctors and said, as soon as Ramona gets up here and says her goodbyes, go ahead and take her off life support. Just go ahead and take her off of everything once Ramona's done that. So, um, I remember feeling, what, like, wondering if I had failed after all those 10 years of trying so hard, all those thousands of phone calls, sleepless nights, arguing, and trying to figure things out um sorry um so yeah i you know ramona came up she said her goodbyes and we i'll never forget that the last few minutes the doctor said once and i I'm like how long is this going to take docs and they said once we take our off life support and everything and so the dialysis and the antibiotics and the ventilator and everything else off it should take about five minutes for her heart to stop I mean, she was all, by that time, even before they took her off, her body was already very cold and all over. And, you know, you could see the blood vessels soaring through her skin and everything, the whole bit. And um, so the funny thing is, the reason I said earlier that she was a fighter is because, tribute to you, my love, um, you fought so well. So thank you for being with me. Um, it took actually took more like 20 minutes, <laughs> four times, as long as the doctor said it would, for her heart to stop. Interesting thing is, every time I leaned down to talk to her, told her things like, you know, go join the and, and be one of those angels and those choirs you saw through the hospital roof in September last year. Well, two years ago now. Interestingly enough, it's now that it's September now, um, been. Uh, two years since she had that experience. Um, but uh, we just sat there, waiting for her heart to stop for 20 minutes, looping How Great Thou Art over and over again on my laptop. Her favorite song, um, well, favorite hymn, I should say. Her favorite song is uh, May I Serve Thee. But um, anyways, moving on to the next, the last two things I wanted to talk about here. Um, the best gift I ever received from all of that, um, aside from the experience it gave me with how to deal with PTSD and more, you know, bitterness and darkness and hell than you can imagine, um, the best gift I received from all that besides learning how to deal with all that was on Christmas morning, two months exactly after she died. Um, I was sitting in front of the tree 
the Christmas tree that morning by myself early. I was reading an article about uh, a girl in from from I think it was from Deseret News. Christmas story they published. I might be wrong with the newspaper there, but the news the news source. But this little girl had been told she was going to go to uh, be an angel, play an angel in the you know the Christmas story at the church. They were going to have this fishing pole raise up the star in the sky, and all the angels were going to come in to kind of you know help with the reenactment of the Savior's birth. And um, she got there, and some of the the uh, leaders that was helping with the whole play skit, whatever you call it. Um, had said that they made a mistake in the math and didn't order enough costumes for all the girls. And so um, I, might, I hope I'm remembering the story right. I think one of the girls had gone without her costumes, and so um, she was devastated. And this one girl who went there, her sister said, you know what the right thing to do is, right? You need to give that little girl your costume and be a friend, be Christ-like to her. Give her your costume. And... Uh, so, you know, very disappointed. She knew her sister was right. Her older sister, she was like, <laughs> okay, you know, like she's all sad. I don't get to be an angel anymore. Now, one of the leaders saw that and said to her, that was very selfless of you, very kind of you. You know what? In return for that, why don't you be the one to lift the star? You can be the star tonight and lift it up for everyone to see. And, of course, you can imagine the little girl's joy. At, you know, being, having such a wonderful reward for giving up something that she thought she wanted so badly. And when I read that, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, told me in such an unmistakable way, two words. Because I'd been wondering, you know, was it the right decision to let Lorraine go? After all that I tried to do to save her life, was it the right thing to let her go? And the Holy Ghost said two words, worthy sacrifice, um, that I had made the right decision, that I had made the right choice. Um, it just flooded over me. It's like all of a sudden this huge peace, just like, don't worry about it. She is pain-free. She is happy and is grateful for you, what you've done everything I did that she was grateful for and she's sorry for all the horrible things that happened up there at least the ones that were a matter of well I guess I matter those that were a matter of choice and those that weren't either way I'm, I'm sure but um, so that was a huge gift um, best Christmas so far in my life so the last thing here now to wrap this up um, I noticed that In doing so, the timing was perfect with her, with Lorraine's passing, and here's why. Here is how he has, as the song says, deepened my joys, strengthened my arms, comforted my soul, and kept me from harm. Um, so, uh, let's hear, how do I start this? Um, last bit here. I was scared at first. After Lorraine died, I was scared that because <clears throat> I am now a widower, um, you know, whatever woman I, if I decided to start dating again, I thought, oh, whatever woman I date, it's going to be like, oh, but you get to be with Lorraine in the eternities because you were sealed. And, um, you know, when I, 
like being temple worthy and everything just means that you're gonna be with her for eternity so why I like I don't I, I don't want to have to share you with anyone so why do we why should we even date I was afraid that women were gonna think that if I started to try dating again at the same time I was terrified of being alone the rest of my life because having been with somebody who I even as rough as it was who I could tell everything still I could tell her anything you know tell her absolutely anything um, well almost there's a few things that I was scared to tell even her even Lorraine um, but even then like I, I was just like what am I gonna do now um, and oh boy this is where the Heavenly Father stepped in and said uh, in essence look what I can do I'm not gonna go however here into the story of how Colette and I met how we happened because I mean I've already posted about that before um, on my Facebook but what I will tell you is that one of the uh, a few of the miracles of Lorraine Passy when she did is that first of all if um, that procedure wouldn't have caused her to pass with taking the kidney stones out um, when it did um, I mean she was already on a trach as it was with ventilators and everything if that wouldn't have taken her out COVID certainly would have um, and then <laughs> good luck with me getting back to the states after that because of all the shenanigans right um, so there was that and then ever since Lorraine passed she actually had a part and Colette and I getting together uh, she guided Colette to me uh, well us to each other either way however you want to put it um, so I mean like right away there was this after 10 years of not being able to connect with people the way I really want to express how I really feel you know without you know excluding anything or keeping anything out or filtering my words like I can actually say whatever I need to the way the way I need to to Colette and she just she just loves me and is understanding and kind and patient and even if something is bad she's just very calmly and kindly um, I'm not she'll say something like you know I, that, I don't think that was very kind honey and, and I'm just like oh yeah thank you she's just so sweet and tender and Oh, she's gonna make an amazing mom. Um, honestly, I mean, she—we we tick all each other's boxes, you know. Um, we have we have this mutual desire for each other's happiness. Um, on top of that, like the job I have now, where I'm serving people as a CNA, um, I have these skills because I got them in Canada. Um, when I did it for 10 years, 10 times more than I'm doing now for free, which is what I told my boss when she hired me. Um, so, I mean, we, we have ways to spread the gospel even further everywhere we go on top of the podcast. Funny thing uh, with that, actually, I had recently written um, hashtag mask or no mask, hashtag be kind on the back of my car. Um, and the, uh, the license plate I have is uh, second Nephi 921. Um, so there's that. I mean, I have freedom to spread the gospel more now, the way I, ways, more ways than I want to. Um, we have Colette and I. We have a marriage where we are both able to love and support each other's goals. Um, I, my whole life, I, you know, always had 
this dynamic of whenever I was practicing the piano, eventually my family got to the point where they're just like, yeah, whatever, okay, fine, he's just doing that. It was just kind of became a ordinary thing after a while for them. And then in, in Canada with Lorraine, she almost had a degree. Uh, she had her grade 10 cert certification in through the uh, uh, the Royal Conservatory of Music uh, in piano. And so when I practiced in front of her, sometimes I actually got a little nervous because she knew what to look for to, for mistakes and um, was kind, but still my biggest critic. Um, with you know, when I was practicing piano, you missed that, you missed this thing, and I'm like, I know, I know. Um, but you know, and after a while, she, when I was practicing, she just okay, well, I'm gonna do my own thing now. You do what you're doing, whatever, right? Same dynamic as with my family. It just kind of became okay, great, whatever, you do your thing, wonderful. And but with Colette, oh my goodness, the first time I took her to uh, um, Brigham Larson Pianos, asked her, hey, do you mind if I just play here for a bit? Um, you're not going to be bored, are you? She goes, oh, no, 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 I love hearing you. I'd love to hear you play. So I just sat there and played on one of their pianos for like an hour or two. And she just sat and listened, and she said she just loved it. Instead of, you know, being like, okay, whatever, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. She literally just sat there and listened. She's like, no, it's fine, I love it. It's like I get my own private concert. I'm thinking, what? No one has ever actually just liked sitting and listening to me this much, ever. Like, wait, really? I, sometimes I'm like, I'm still in shock. I just, it almost weirds me out. I'm like, you really okay just sitting there and listening? And she's like, yeah, I love it. Keep going. I'm just like, wow. I, anyways, I just, that's one huge, like, major change that I did not expect Heavenly Father to bless me with. In fact, I remember at uh, Brigham Larson Pianos, um, after the first time I did that, um, after every song I'd play, She'd I'd look over her at her and she'd just be looking at me with this like doughy-eyed expression, kind of put her finger up and do a little motion. It's like, come here, you know, with her pointer finger, and she just kissed me and I'm like, wait, what? Whoa, wow, what was that for? She goes, oh, you're just so good, and I'm like, uh, this is new. Never had anybody think of me like this before. Oh my gosh, I love this woman. So yeah, I'm like, kapow. Like, thank you, God, for this woman in my life. Okay, she's an amazing cook. Oh my gosh, Colette, when you get her in the kitchen, let her get in the zone, she just pops out the most just kapow food. Oh my gosh, she is so good. Um, um, there's nothing hidden between us. Um, we have both been able to talk about things from our past, some of the, our, you know, scary things from the very deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts that no one else ever knew with each other. Um, and because of that, we were also able to have several discussions much earlier in our relationship than we anticipated, thanks Heavenly Father, um, about things we discussed, for example, in the bonus episode Colette and I did in this season about uh, human connection and sexuality. Um, I mean, a lot, actually, we were just talking the other day, um, might have been even yesterday, actually, come to think of it, um, about just how much we hear, you know, you hear other couples out there saying that, oh, you know, it takes a while to kind of get in sync once you get married and you, be, you know, you become sexually active and... Um, 
and we were just like thinking out loud with each other like we didn't have any awkward phase we just kind of clicked because the communication was just completely raw and kind and unfiltered and courteous and that's exactly what it takes to have a beautiful marriage in all respects physically spiritually emotionally um and we've had it from day one heavenly father's blessed us with a level of communication that i have not experienced heard of or seen anywhere else and it has just been a massive godsend to both of us and to me honestly one of the most beautiful wonderful and healing things that has come as a part of the Lord and Lorraine leading me to Colette. She says, I love you first, much of the time. She is affectionate with me because she wants to be. I can, like, I can just sit there and hug her for minutes at a time and she actually hangs on a lot of the time longer than I do. You know, like, the funny thing is my sister Camille was just here today um, as I'm recording this. Um, it's uh, Thursday today, um, and uh, she was hugging Colette, and uh, she was letting go, and Camille was like, oh, oh, okay, we're still hugging, because Colette just wouldn't let go, and I'm like, oh, yep, that's the way she, that's the way she does it with me, too, and oh, it's such an incredibly healing, beautiful dynamic the Lord has blessed us with. Like, we literally do check all of each other's boxes and everything that matters. Um, and I thank God for her every single day. And I know she does the same for me. It's the way that she treats me, you know? She treats me better than, well, yeah, better than anyone else I've ever known in my life. She trusts me. She has faith in me. She encourages me. She makes me believe I can be better than I am. And she tells me that I do the same for her. So I always say to her, I hope I do the same for you. And she goes, absolutely, my love, you do wonderful. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God, so much. Now, in all of these blessings that Heavenly Father has brought into my life since Lorraine's passing, and some of it, like I have mentioned, because of Lorraine's passing, I can testify from the center of my being with every like feeling of my heart you know go to Alma 26:16, the last phrase where it says I cannot say the smallest part of that which I feel it's Colette and I's wedding scripture you know how like much I can testify with that much feeling that the Lord through this process and what he has busted with now be, and once again because of what I went through before and what I have now through that, he has deepened my joys. He has strengthened my arms, comforted my soul, kept me from harm, filled me with his power through his loving grace as I have stood firm in the faith. He has opened my eyes. He has made more out of me than I could ever hope to do alone. He's quickened my mind. He has helped me to place my fears behind as I have stood firm in the faith. It took a long time. I never expected it to take 10 years of training to get me to where I am now. And I know because of it all, 
that his justice and mercy are perfectly balanced. Everything has a divine, beautiful purpose. Every portion of suffering we ever go through, no matter how bad, I know now better than I ever knew before. He is real. He lives, and he loves you and me more than you can even imagine. And I bear this witness in the name of my Savior and yours, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, please go and click that follow button on paulpulsifer.podomatic.com or www.podomatic.com slash podcasts slash paulpulsifer. Um, If there's something out of this episode that was particularly helpful to you, please go and leave positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook. Share this with your family and friends all that you can. Um, And, of course, as always, remember to stand steadfastly in the freedom God gave us. Until next time, this is Paul Pulsifer.